You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teachaluke.co.uk. Welcome to Luke's English Podcast and this special series called Marooned With My Music. My castaway today is my mum, Jill Thompson. Born as part of the baby boom generation after World War II, Jill grew up and lived in England during a time of great social change in the latter half of the 20th century. Jill has lived in various parts of the country during her life, including Yorkshire, the Midlands and London, and has had various jobs, including time spent at the BBC, as a primary school, at a university and now in a charity bookshop. But perhaps her most time-consuming and indeed energy-consuming responsibility has been to bring up two boys and manage a household of three men, her husband and her two sons. While doing all of that, she also studied for a general arts degree with the Open University, adding to her now quite considerable knowledge of history, art, literature and philosophy. She's a voracious reader, a fount of knowledge and wisdom, a loving wife and an amazing mum. And I'm very glad to have her on the programme today. So mum, welcome to Marooned With My Music. Um, Thank you. You've grown up surrounded by music. Has it been difficult to choose your eight records? Well, I decided early on that I would use a th the theme of remembering all my friends and family through various bits of music. So from a huge range of music that I could have chosen, it was quite nicely honed down by using that uh, way of doing it. It's a very good approach. I think that's probably going to work out quite nicely. I hope so. Uh, so you grew up in the in the 1950s, um, really sort of born at the, well, you basically grew up in the, I'm not going to reveal the date of your, your, your birth. Um, <laughs> you can. I, I can. All right. Born in, in 1949. Yeah. Just after the World War II then. Yeah. Yeah. Grew up in the 50s and 60s. First question is, what was it like to be a child of the baby boom generation in that immediate post-war period? Well, it's hard to say, really, because I've got nothing to compare it with. It was my childhood, and it was a very happy childhood. Um, looking back on it now, it was quite, you might say, by today's standards, it was quite deprived, because there were lots of things we didn't have. But we had a happy time. It was absolutely fine. I, yes, I enjoyed my childhood. Did you get a sense that you'd kind of... Um did you get a sense of what had happened to your parents' generation? Well, it's strange, really, because even though it had only been a few years since my father returned from the war, um, it seemed like history. It didn't seem that that close to me, even though I knew it was, I suppose, but uh, it didn't feel like that at all. Did your parents ever talk about World War II? Um, they talked about about it a bit they talked about the wartime years my mother talked about what she did during the war mm. and i knew that my father had been you know on active service during the war and i knew he'd won um you know quite a good medal during the war but and i knew he'd been on the d-day landings but that was as much as i knew he when we were kids he never talked about it 
Um, we never really thought to ask either. Okay. So where did you grow up then? Uh, well, I was born in Barnsley in Yorkshire, but we only stayed there for a few months. We moved shortly after I was born uh, down to Wolverhampton in, I suppose it was the black country. Wolverhampton um, in the black country, yeah. which is um, sort of part of the Midlands. Yes. But why do they call it the black country? Well, because it was the industrial part during the Victorian era. It was the industrial part of... Uh, of England and certainly of that part of uh, England and um, I forget who it was who who coined the phrase but it was because um, all the buildings were turned black because of the soot caused from the industrial processes. Basically the the, the air pollution. Yeah. All the soot that was you know, mm. flung into the air from the f- chimneys and the factories. That's it right. turned everything black. It did. And, and a few years, I, sp- I don't know, I can remember, I suppose, late 60s, maybe, there was quite a programme of cleaning buildings. So all the old Victorian buildings were cleaned. And, I, you know, I was amazed to see this beautiful stone underneath what had been just a black facade. Right. So what was um, what was Wolverhampton like in the 1950s? Well, I can really only remember my part of Wolverhampton, which was a suburb of Wolverhampton, I suppose. And I can remember we had quite a big back garden. We had quite a big house, um, but it was um, didn't have central heating. It didn't have lots of things that houses have today. Did it have a toilet inside? <laughs> it did have a toilet inside, yes. Okay. We, we, we were that advanced that we had an indoor bathroom and toilet. Um, no central heating? No central heating. How did you anything? keep the place warm? We had uh, coal fires and electric fires and things like that Mm. and uh it was as i say it was quite a large house and uh for a while which i found very interesting my mother took in theatrical um people who had come to the birmingham uh, the wolverhampton rep for a season and she offered lodgings theatrical lodgings to actors and directors and things so we had lots of people in the house lots of new different people who were great fun and very interesting that's one of the main memories i have of wolverhampton the other one is um the fact that we used to play on the street all the time there was hardly any traffic and we just used to have wonderful time running up and down the street. Okay, that sounds idyllic almost. <laughs> yes, it does rather. Um, let's start with your first musical choice. So, okay. um, you know the score, you know the you know the situation. I do. You're being sent to a desert island, a <laughs> yeah. uh, remote place in the middle uh-huh. of the, the ocean somewhere. Yeah. You've got to choose eight pieces of music to rescue from, from the wreckage. Yes. Uh, what's your first uh, piece of music then? Well, like I say, I've chosen the music to kind of remind me of people and the first one is reminding me of my mum mm. and it's a song that she used to sing around the house a lot when we were particularly in Wolverhampton it's called it's by Irving Berlin and it's called I'll be loving you always okay let's have a little listen to that then a nice sweet uh, song so yeah. so your mum used to sing that around she the house did. yes i can remember her just 
going about her business singing that. Was it a musical family? Not particularly. No, nobody played any instruments. Um, my father had um, s- some old, nine, you know, 78 RPM records, those great big heavy breakable things. Large heavy records made of vinyl. Yes, but no, not made of vinyl. They no. were made of a much more... Um, shattering i don't know what it what they were made of but they broke very easily if you drop them or you know they would just shatter right uh, so they were very um, you had to look after them um and they were great big heavy things and he used to have lots of classical music particularly beethoven mm. but a lot of the time we didn't have anything to play them on so we didn't hear a great deal of music apart from the radio we used to listen to the radio a lot particularly you know children's programs which had a lot of music in them but mainly they were mainly now i look back on it american imports of of children's programs you know but uh, children's music like uh, by people like danny Kay and burl ives and people like that things like how much is that dog Absolutely. in the window yes and the, and also the english ones were max bygraves um things like uh, um, gilly, gilly, awesome pepper, cast, cast an egg and bogan by the sea or something. I can't remember how it went, but um, we thought it was great fun. And uh, I'm a pink toothbrush, you're a blue toothbrush. Right. And all those things which sound very silly now. Pretty sort of light-hearted, oh, yeah. quite safe family music, often yep. imported from the USA. Absolutely. Really. And a lot of the, the English entertainment kind of took it took um, its influences from American Very much entertainment. so, yeah. Lots yeah. of those family shows that you associate with the 50s in the USA, similar kind of stuff in, in England, really, I suppose. What, how do you mean? Family entertainment programs, game shows, and uh, light entertainment. Yes, yes, I suppose so. Although they seem to come... they In the early days, in, in Wolverhampton, we didn't have a television. It was all on the radio. We had a television when we moved to Stafford. Uh, and and uh, yes, at that time, there were lots of uh, quiz shows and those kinds mm. of family entertainment shows yeah. with Michael Miles, Open the Box or whatever it was called. I can't remember now. Right. Okay. And uh, Huey Green and people like that. Okay. Uh, it's just kind of giving us an idea of what it was like in the 1950s then. So, you know, no TV, radio. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it sounds nice, actually. Mm. Um, what's your next piece of music? Well, <clears throat> my next piece of music is to remind me of Dad. And this is Al Bowley, um, who he is a great fan of. And I think he's dates from the 1930s he's english and the one i like is is called i'll string along with you which um has a wonderful ironic lyric which goes <clears throat> something like you may not be an angel for angels are so few but until the day that one comes along i'll string along with you okay. <laughs> which very I, very romantic yes but i i like it and i just love al Bowley, and so does my dad so That's what I've chosen to remind me of him. Okay, so let's listen to Al Bowley. I'll string along with you. That's it. You may not be an angel, cause angels are so few. But until the day that one comes along, I'll string along with you. I'm looking for an angel to sing my love song to And until the day that one comes along, I'll sing my song to you For every little fault that you have, say I've got three or four The human little faults you do have, just make me love you more and more You may not be an angel, but still I'm sure you'll do 
So until the day that one comes along, I'll swing along with you. That was um, Al Bowley, I'll string along with you. And it turns out he was actually born in South Africa. Yes, I've just discovered that by uh, Googling, Googling him. Uh, but he always sounds very English and he sang with a lot of British uh, dance bands. I think he was associated with the British dance bands movement. Yes, yes, so, I think you can yes. say that. Um, so that's quite of a, a jolly and humorous um, yeah. song. So your dad then was a bit of a humorist was he um, yes in a, in a quiet sort of way he was just one of those dads who used to sit in the corner and every now and then there'd be a dry comment <laughs> and uh, he was also a good mimic when he was in the mood yes um and uh yeah he was good fun in a quiet sort of way okay so was it i mean uh, was it a strict upbringing or or, or what was it uh, like then? i think it probably was a fairly old-fashioned and fairly strict upbringing yes Okay, how about school? Mm, um, so how you, about it? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, my dad told us that, um, you know, back in those days, you had to take the 11 plus, That's which is right. an, an exam that basically separated uh, people into two categories. Yeah. Either you, uh, if you passed, you went to a grammar school mm-hmm. and you, you ended up probably in, you know, a fairly good sort of job or something like that. If yeah. you failed it, then they put you into courses that taught you a trade or something like that. Vocational Education, yeah. I suppose you'd Did, call it. How yes. was the 11 plus for you? Well, I failed the 11 plus. At the time, we were living in Stafford and I was going to a, a convent school. Mm. Uh, but I failed the 11 plus. But I just stayed on at that school because because it was a fee-paying school. You didn't have to, you know, uh, pass the 11 plus to stay on. Okay. Um, did, did, and then did that affect the rest of your life, do you think? Well, I suppose you could say so, yes. Although it's turned out all right in the end. Yeah. Um, I've, <laughs> I suppose uh, didn't get a great... I, I don't know. It was good in some ways. I think I had quite a good English grammar education and that sort of thing. But maths and science, no, not much. Okay. What, were, you a, were you a good student or were you... Kind no. Of, did you misbehave at school? I didn't misbehave, but I was just lazy. I didn't do things I wasn't interested in. So I didn't do maths. and Well, we weren't given the opportunity to do much science, but uh, I hated maths and I didn't really work hard with that. Mm. But English... Um, I did enjoy, so that was no problem to me. I was always reading, and I enjoyed uh, English lessons, so okay, uh, that was okay. All right, um, let's move on to musical choice number three, then. Okay, Mum. well, I have to remember my brother with this one, my brother Nick. Um, he's a huge Neil Young fan, has been for a long, long time, mm. and I like Neil Young too, but we tend to like different Neil Youngs. Nick likes the loud, um, what, what's the group called that he's with? Crazy Horse. Crazy. He likes the stuff with Crazy Horse, very electronic and noisy. I prefer the more acoustic, quiet, um, thoughtful Neil Young. And so I've chosen a very obvious one, really, but I do like it. It's called Harvest Moon. Okay, so here is Neil Young playing um, Harvest Moon. Just like children sleeping 
That was uh, Neil Young there, Harvest Moon. Lovely yep. tune. It is, certainly. Um, so you just mentioned your brother there, Nick, uh-huh. younger than you. Yes, How three and a half years. Three and a half years. Was that like a, a large gap? Were you close? or? Um, I, I can remember him being born and I can remember it being rather a strange experience, suddenly having this baby in the house. Um, uh, and... But uh, when we were very young, I th- it was fine. The time when it seemed a big gap was when I was a teenager, becoming a teenager, and he was just still just an annoying little boy. <laughs> and he used to get in my way and just be annoying. So I suppose for about two or three years, I just found him a pest. But then as we got older, we uh, you know got very friendly and we remain that way today. Okay, that's very good. So mm. did you leave school then at 16? Um... I left school, I was trying to remember this earlier on, I suppose I must have been about 16, and then I went to the College of Further Education, where I did a secretarial course, and I did a few more O-levels. Um, before I then went to work, I suppose I was about 18 when I nice. went to work. I imagine so. Mm. It's normal. Yeah. If you, if you've, most people, you know, well, school finishes at 16. Yes. And if you did a couple of extra yeah. qualifications, then it probably would have taken a couple of years. That's right. And then uh, then you enter the world of work. I did. I w- I, my first job was in an administrative office in the Good Hope Hospital in Sutton Coalfield. Okay. What were you doing there? Just general, you know, shorthand typing, secretarial type stuff. Okay. Wages, paying people out every year, uh, paying people's wages to them every month. Yeah. Uh, or every week it was in those days, and we used to have um, all the money came in cash um, once a week, and it would all be emptied out on the table, and we all had to count the money by hand and put it in the envelopes of the people who we were paying. So we had to make sure we put exactly the right amount of money in each envelope. Right. So, I mean, it's weird looking back on it now, the idea that you'd pay people like that. Just cash in hand sort cash of thing. Cash in hand. Well, not. I mean, they had to pay tax and all that, obviously. I suppose but you... But all that had been done, and we just had to put the money in the envelopes and then hand it over to the people when they came. You probably had to produce the pay slips and stuff oh, as yeah, well. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was all written out, how much everybody was owed. But it just seems strange, the idea that we were counting piles of coins and putting them into yeah. envelopes. Then people would come to the window and we'd give them to them and they'd have to sign right. for their money. So this is yeah. when... So Sort of 1960-something? 60-something, um, yes. If, if um, 60, 65, 67. 66, 67. Let's see, 49. Oh, I don't know. I can't work it Mid-60s. Out. Yeah. Um, and where were you living at the time? Still in Sutton Coalfield? I was still living at home with my mum and dad. In the Midlands? In, uh, yes, in Sutton Coalfield. And so when did you move out then? Well, my friend Jan and I uh, decided we wanted to leave home. She, was, she lived in... 
Stafford. That's where I first met her. And uh, she got a job in Birmingham. And so she and I decided we'd share a flat. We ended up getting a flat in Sutton, not far from my parents. But still, we were living on our own and it was great fun. Okay. Now, the 1960s were in England were uh, a time of affluence and renewed positivity after yes. all the problems and the uh, the difficulties of the war and the post-war period. In the 1960s, things things seemed to change. The Prime Minister famously said, um, "What you've never had it so well, good. Well, that was uh, in the 1950s. That was it? It was... Um, Oh, God. Macmillan, I think, who said that. That was in the 1950s, actually. The end of the 1950s, not the 1960s. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. But basically... The, but the, that was how it was in the 60s, yes. There was a mood of positivity, a yeah. bit, bit of affluence. You had yeah. a bit of cash in the pockets. Yeah, I mean, I never had a great deal of money because I didn't earn a great deal. But what I had, I spent, and I used to enjoy spending my money every week right. on a, you know a new dress or a record or something very trivial i was yeah. then sort of around the the mid 60s late 60s things seemed to seem seem to change quite a lot am i right i mean certainly the the younger generation hmm. um you know there was this sense of um um like a sort of um it's difficult to describe really but there was the the whole hippie movement and the summer of love and the music that came out and and i mean in the states there were and, and in in europe there were lots of social problems mm. um some sort of youth revolt and and protest against the war and things like that mm. um and at, at home in england um certainly the the kind of musical movement and a fashion movement and suddenly young people uh, became incredibly productive and they had a voice of their own and things like that. It's really strange looking back on it. I mean, looking back on it in historical terms like that, I can see that that was how it was. But living through it, I just thought that was how life was. It never occurred to me that I was living through some sort of revolution, probably because I was not a thoughtful enough person at that time. But um, it just seemed to me that this is what it was like being a teenager. Right. <laughs> and uh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. I didn't, you know, I didn't get involved in any protests or, you know, do anything very dramatic. But I, it was a nice time to live. And I realise now I'm very lucky to have lived through it. Yeah. Now, um, obviously, in the sort of early 60s, 62, 63, there was this new phenomenon mm. in the UK. And that was... Um, pop groups mm -hmm. um and especially the beatles yes. who became something quite incredible in you know yeah. a, a, an absolute phenomenon uh, with screaming f fans teenage girls <laughs> who would um you know chase them around mm -hmm. buy all their records collect all of the clippings from the newspapers about them and things like that the phenomenon was known as uh beatlemania uh -huh. um what were the fans of the beatles known as was there a name beatlemaniacs beatlemaniacs mm. now you were a beatlemaniac I certainly was you? yes i absolutely adored them and i went to see them twice as i like to tell you yeah. um and they were just wonderful i loved them and i went when i went to see them i just screamed all the way through ridiculous isn't it but what was the appeal really of this group of <gasps> lads Gosh, from it's liverpool it's so hard i mean i suppose my age i was just getting to that pubescent age where you know young girls tend to get fall for people and uh, they were just so fresh so funny that was i loved them because they were funny and witty and a bit sort of um not rebellious exactly but uh, they were just didn't have a great deal of deference or and not a great deal of respect for people and i just loved them they were just wonderful and of course the music was great so everything about them was just fabulous 
Yeah. Well, it's a, I can't believe you saw them live twice. Mm. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, all right, let's have uh, song choice number four. Well, it's very appropriate, really, because the fourth choice is to remind me of Rick, uh, your dad. And um, <clears throat> shortly after I... Well, I met him just before my 21st birthday. And for my birthday, he bought me Abbey Road by the Beatles. So it'll have to be something from Abbey Road. And I think I'm going to choose Here Comes the Sun. Okay, so this is the Beatles from their last album, Abbey Road, and it's called Here Comes the Sun, written by George Harrison. Yes, yes, that's another reason why I like it. He's your favourite Beatle, isn't he? <laughs> oh, he has become my favourite Beatle, yes. Okay, well, let's have a little listen to that then. So I imagine listening to that sort of takes you back to it that does. time. It does. It takes then. me right back to to that time. Uh, it just has such a lovely feel about it, and uh, yeah, that the atmosphere of the time comes back quite strongly when I hear that. Okay. Um, so, how did you meet um, my dad then, Rick? Uh, met that... him at the BBC. I'd recent uh, about six months before I'd um, got a job at the BBC in Birmingham in the newsroom, and uh, one day this young man turned up um, who t- uh, who'd come from university and it was rick and that's how i met him what you just met him and that's it <laughs> i mean <laughs> how did it how did it actually happen i wonder because dad didn't go into it maybe no. you can tell us oh, do you want me to tell you the yes, story yes, about abs- absolutely <laughs> the first time i saw him i walked into the newsroom and there he was sitting in the corner reading the newspaper and uh, so i went into my bit of the newsroom and the office dragon i don't know if you can explain that what an office dragon I, is. I imagine the office dragon would be sort of an older woman, um, quite severe, quite a strict yeah. person, maybe in a position of authority, like That's a manager right. or something like that. The That's office it. dragon, the scary older woman in a position of authority. That's it. Well, the office dragon came in and I said to her, who's that sitting in the corner in the newsroom? And she said, oh, that's Rick Thompson. Nobody's introduced me, so I haven't spoken to him. Um, and so that was the first time I saw him. But um, I just gradually got to know him. And uh, in fact, we were both in a... In those days, the BBC used to have um, an amateur dramatic society. And we put on Things Ain't What They Used To Be, which was an old 1950s British musical. <clears throat> and... Um, we were both in that, and that's how we really got to know each other. What did you think of him when you first met him? <laughs> was it was it imme- was it love at first sight? No, I thought he was very big-headed and a bit full of himself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and what did he ask you out then? Is that what uh, he did? Yes, I was in the teleprinter room. Gosh, in those days we didn't have things like faxes or emails or anything. We had this great. We had a room 
uh, that was full of this teleprinter, which was uh, electronically used to send messages down to the newsroom in London. And you had to type it like a typewriter, a great big clanking thing it was. And I was in there sending a message down to London and he put his head round the door and said, do you want to go to the pictures tonight? And I said, no, sorry, I'm already going out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he said and disappeared. And then a couple of weeks later, the phone rang in our office and one of the other secretaries answered it. And uh, she came over to me and she said, it's Rick Thompson and say yes. <laughs> so she suggested that you say so yes she, to him. She insisted that I say yes when if he was going to ask me out, which he did. So I said yes. Okay. And you went. And to we went to see Paint Your Wagon, Clint- which was a film with Clint Eastwood, an early Clint Eastwood musical. Yes, strangely uh, enough. Okay, and um, so it worked out in the end. Then did it? Eventually, it worked out. I decided he wasn't so bad after all. So after you got to know him, you realised he wasn't such a big-headed yes. um, guy. <laughs> yes, I did. You saw a different side of him. I did. Yes, um, and uh, two years later, we were married. Thank goodness for that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, right. Let's have. Um, uh, musical choice number five. Okay, well, guess who this will remind me of? James and Luke. And um, when you were about sort of 10, 11, 12 sort of age, a really good age, really enjoyable age, and you used to like madness. So I've chosen, and we all loved madness, and I've chosen Our House. I remember listening to Our House when I was a kid, but mm. let's have a little um, listen to Our House by Madness, and here it is. So, uh, why that particular song? I mean, we, we know why you chose Madness, but why yeah. that song in particular? Well, it's just so joyful and, and it's kind of appropriate, talking about the kids playing up downstairs. And uh, uh, it's just very reminiscent of that time when we lived in Ealing. And, you, you know, you, you just it just reminds me of our house, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. And lots of fun and noise and stuff. And, yeah. What was it like having to bring up two boys then? Um... Well, in the early days, it was great. <laughs> when you were up to the age of about thirteen, you were you were both charming and lovely, and it was we had great fun, and it was lovely. It was when the teenage years hit that it wasn't so much fun, um, and I'm quite glad those days are over. But to uh, know up until teenage years, it was just a delight. It was great fun. So we were all right then. You we? weren't bad. 
Up until the teenage up years. Up until the teenage years. Okay then. Um, so, all right. So you you met uh, you met Rick, yep. uh, who you <clears throat> learnt wasn't such a yeah. Uh, wasn't so full of himself <laughs> as you may have first thought. Yeah. Um, and so you were living in Birmingham, mm-hmm. but you did move down to London, didn't you? At some point. We did. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we lived in. Uh, it, well, yes, we moved down from Birmingham to Marlow, actually, in Buckinghamshire, when Rick got a job at the television centre in London. Just near London there, isn't yes, it? Yes, it's a, a kind of suburb of London. Um, and that's where James... Well, it's where you were both born. I was pregnant with James when we moved down there. And then a couple of years later, you were born. And then we moved into Ealing. West London. West London, so that we would be closer to the BBC. Okay. And what do you remember about that time there, living in West London... Living in Ealing. I just remember we had lots of friends. Uh, the The school was good. When you went to school, we joined the PTA. We had lots of fun with other members of the PTA. We used to perform in pantomimes. And um, you used to have lots of local friends who you'd go around and play with. And I had friends as well. It was it was a really nice time. Okay. So that's during the 1980s. Um, that's, uh, yes, yeah, sort of from about 80s. 1978 to about until 1986. Yeah, okay. And at that point, Dad got a... I mean, Dad was, you know, doing very well at the BBC yeah. and so on. Uh, worked in the, as a foreign news editor mm-hmm. and things like that and with the nine o'clock news. And then he was given a job um, back in the Midlands again. Yeah. So it was a return to the Midlands. So we travelled back to the Midlands. But we didn't go back to Sutton Coldfield. We went to um, Chadwick End, uh, which is a suburb of Solihull, which is a suburb of Birmingham. And uh, and it was very different. It wasn't... Because in Ealing, we, it had been a uh, built-up area. With lots of people around, and we went to Chadwick End, which was much more rural, with not so many people around. But it was nice for you because you were at that age when you liked to have lots of space. We had a great big garden, and there were lots of children on the lane around about the same age as you, so you did have plenty of people to play with. Mm. Okay, all right then. <coughs> um, shall we hear song choice number five? Yes. Well, this is kind of for me. Well, the rest of them are for me, I suppose. Um, having remembered all my family, uh, I. I want to choose a Kinks record. And I was going to choose Waterloo Sunset, but I gather Rick chose that. Yeah, Dad chose that one, yeah. So this is another one that that is a much later one by Ray Davis, I suppose, really, rather than the Kinks. Um, And it's kind of appropriate for me now as an older person. And it's um, Don't Forget to Dance. Okay, we'll talk a little bit more about this one in a moment. But let's hear Don't Forget to Dance by Ray Davis or certainly the Kinks. Here it is. Don't forget to smile 
So that was the Kinks with um, "Don't Forget to Dance." Mm-hmm. You mentioned before that that one's for you, really. Yeah. Why, why that song in particular? Um, <clears throat> well, I like the Kinks. I, I, I always did, and even though they were thought of as boys as a boys' group when I was young, the women like the Beatles and boys like the Kinks. But as I've got older, I like them more and more. And that one in particular is very appropriate for someone of my age because it's kind of reminding you to not to get too old, not to get too staid, to enjoy your life and, um, yeah, don't forget to dance. Okay, all right. Now, um, I think we were talking about the fact that... um, you know, the whole family had moved to the Midlands mm-hmm. and stuff like that and, and moved into the countryside. Um, now, after my brother and me, you know, f- sort of grew up a bit and went off to university, how, mm. what was that like, first of all, when, when we just, did, you know, we left home? Was it night? Was that a pleasant uh, moment where suddenly you had a bit more time and you didn't have to, you know, do all this laundry and all this <laughs> annoying stuff? In some ways, yes. Uh, life did get a bit easier and I could do the things I wanted to do more easily. And uh, yeah, it was quieter and <laughs> everything at home. But it was also, it's also very strange when your children leave home. It is, um, it's bizarre, really. You do find that your life changes a lot. But the older you get, the more you realise that life does go in phases, you know, kind of like seven or tw- ten year phases, and uh, you learn to expect that. And that was another phase. My life of having teenagers in the house all the time had had finished that phase, and uh, I was starting a new phase when I had more time for myself. Okay, let's hear uh, your next musical. My choice. My next musical choice is by Bach, and I've chosen the double violin concerto. I I think Bach's music is amazing. It is so complex. And so, I mean, people say he's mathematical and logical, which doesn't give you the right impression at all. His music covers every emotion and every every feeling, every intellectual thing that you might want to explore. And this one in particular is very complex and wonderful. And I would spend a long time listening to this, I think, because there's so much in it to appreciate and try and understand. So this is the Bach... Double Violin Concerto? I think that's what it's called. I don't know what number it is, but I'm sure you can find out. All right, let's have a little listen to that then.
Wow, incredible. It's incredibly complicated and dynamic yes. music. Yeah, lots to... I mean, you could listen to that loads of times and still be learning about it. It's mm. really, really good. Mm. And it's kind of... It fulfills an emotional thing as well. Yeah, <clears throat> really great. Now, yep. we, we haven't dealt with the fact that, as well as, you know, obviously bringing up, um, you know, the your two children and everything, um, you did go back to um, education and mm. you, you took a, a degree with the Open mm. University, yep. um, which is a sort of distance learning program. It's a, the most wonderful organisation. It was um, invented in the 60s by Harold Wilson and uh, Barbara Cartland. Uh, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> Not Barbara Cartland. Barbara Cartland. Barbara is, Castle. Barbara Cartland um, is the, the author of sort of like cheesy... Romantic fiction. Cheesy yeah. romantic fiction. But I don't think... She also created the, the was, Open University. It was Barbara Cart- Castle. Um, and it is uh, a university for people who didn't do much in education when they were younger and have no none of the qualifications that would enable you to go to university, uh, a conventional university. So I didn't have any A-levels, for example. But you can apply to the Open University and you can do a degree. I mean, obviously, um, you don't... It's not easy. You have to go through lots of um, uh, different phases and pass all sorts of modules and things. But um, I absolutely loved it. It is the most wonderful uh, invention, the most wonderful organisation. And I loved doing my degree. And I covered all sorts of things. Um, English literature, history, philosophy, art history, history. It was just wonderful. Uh, some of the best years of my life really. really and I learned an awful lot and it's made a lot of difference to my life and I am evangelical about the Open University I remember that you regularly got really good marks <laughs> um, for your essays and for your work yeah. Um, I mean, you were getting sort of 80% and stuff like that, I yeah, think, 70-80%, yeah. which is very high in, mm. in terms of like the results you get from, from essays at mm. uh, degree level. Uh, so you clearly got your teeth stuck into it. Mm. Um, was there... Um, so so the, the subject was, um, I believe, mixed arts? Or, or Well, in those days when I did it, you did a general arts degree, which covered all those subjects. Nowadays, I think you can specify whether you want to do literature or history or philosophy but i i i think it was wonderful what i did i covered lots of areas of the arts and learned an awful lot and interdisciplinary courses as well so we had courses like courses on the enlightenment which covered which covered philosophy and literature and history and, and so we did a lot of french philosophy and uh, as well as english and it, it just opened my mind completely it's really really good was that something of a sort of renaissance for you oh yeah definitely Mm. Um, was there a particular subject that uh, stood out for you was there one area of that degree that you really enjoyed more than others well i did enjoy the module on the on the um enlightenment because i learned so much about uh, that time. Which period is that then? It's the. Oh, you're putting me on the spot now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 18th century. It's the age of reason. It's when people turned away from the from religion to a certain extent, not entirely, of course, and started thinking about um, exploring life beyond religion. Um, and the art in it is fascinating, and the philosophy, particularly the philosophy, and yeah. It was, it was just that I think that was my favorite but I also enjoyed I did a couple of art history modules and I just loved that learning about history through art is mm. wonderful 
Okay. <coughs> Fascinating. Let's move on to musical choice number... Is this number... This is number eight. This is, this is the is last Is this number one. eight? Is yeah. it really? Yeah. So we've had um, Irving Berlin. We've had uh, Al, Al Bowley, Neil mm-hmm. Young, um, The Beatles, mm-hmm. uh, Madness, The Kinks, uh, Bark, and, yeah, then, and, uh, and then this one. And one, two, three, four, five, six, Eight. Yeah, he doesn't believe me, listeners. No, I'm he, just—he's having to check. Yeah, I'm just even though sure. I told him it was number eight, he didn't sh- believe me. This is—you know—this is what sons are like. Well, you didn't do a maths degree. <laughs> it was—it uh, was general arts. You didn't learn to count. I'm just true, make, very just, true. Just making sure. Okay. Anyway, number eight then. Number eight is one that I have recently found out about and really enjoy it's um joe brown joe brown was um a pop star in the early 60s when i was young and i always enjoyed him he was a cheeky happy cockney person and still is um but this he is now a virtuoso on the ukulele and this particular song i'll see you in my dreams is one that he sang accompanied by his ukulele and he sang it at the end of the concert for George when after George Harrison died and it's it's wonderful it's very moving and uh very good <laughs> and um I, uh, Rick and I have both uh discovered the ukulele recently and we both love it so I will enjoy it for my own sake and also because it will remind me of Rick and you know everything else Okay, so this is Joe Brown. This is Joe, Joe Brown. Brown. I'll see you in my dreams. Though the days are long, twilight sings a song. That used to be Soon my eyes will close Soon I'll find repose And in dreams You're always near to me I'll see you in That was Joe Brown with uh, I'll See You In My Dreams, played on the ukulele. And that was a song he played um, at the concert for George Harrison, a celebration of life and music. 
Um, and it's particularly appropriate for George because he was such a big fan of the ukulele himself, yes, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he was. He really enjoyed it. And he liked George Formby and the most unlikely thing that you'd imagine George Harrison to be interested in. But he was excellent on the, on the ukulele. And there were various things on YouTube that you pointed out to me that you can see played by George Harrison. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so that's been... Those, those are your eight musical choices. Are, yeah. But you also have... Um, well, first of all, I will be giving you the complete works of William Shakespeare, which I'm, I'm sure you'll be happy about. Yeah. yeah, I'm very happy. That's really all I need, because Shakespeare knows all about everything. He knows the answer to life, the universe and everything. So anything that you want to think about or uh, read about or whatever, it's in Shakespeare. Okay. It's wonderful. Well, as well as that, um, and I'm going to give you a choice. You can either have the Oxford English Dictionary or you can have the, the, the Bible. <laughs> Maybe the King James Version. Yes. Um, which one would you like? Well, strange as it may seem, I think I would prefer the King James Version of the Bible. Why is, why is that strange? Not, well, because I am not religious. I am agnostic or atheist. I'm not sure which. I think that means um, you're agnostic. If <laughs> yeah, you're not sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Okay, I'm agnostic. Uh, so I'm not religious, in other words. Um, but I think as a literary text, it's a fascinating book. Mm. Uh, so I'd be quite happy to read my way through it and just enjoy it as a, liter a literary text and, and also enjoy the language and so on. Um, the dictionary, I think I would find less use for because I would be on an island on my own. Why would I need to uh, expand my vocabulary? I would have no one to speak to. I don't know if there are, you know, do you, would you need to describe all the different types of sand? I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I think, actually, if I had the choice, I, I mean, definitely I'd ha have the Shakespeare. That would be the main one. But I think I'd be quite interested in reading through the Bible. Okay. But you also get um, a, a free choice of your own okay. as, a, as, a, as a book. Mm -hmm. Which one's that going to be? Well, that's a bit difficult. I can't quite decide between the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. Or, really? Yes. Or the essays of Michel de Montaigne. I didn't know that you had... You were such a fan of Marcus Aurelius. Oh, I love Marcus Aurelius. Uh, he's wonderful. Um, and he has lots of little axioms. You know, they're sort of two or three line. Bits of truth. Yes. Wisdom. Uh, and at, at times when I have felt tried, uh, he's been very helpful to me. He, he's he's wonderful. Okay. You should try it. I I will. Yes. Mar In fact, I should buy you it. Yes, please. Uh, buy you a little book of it. He is wonderful. And he, he is, he, yes, the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. Uh, or the essays of Michel de Montaigne, who I discovered through my one of my OU courses. And he, again, is a very wise man. Um, and it's very difficult to choose. You've got to choose one, I'm afraid. You can't have both. Well, in that case, perhaps I'll choose the one that's more difficult. And that's Michel de Montaigne. Okay. So you like a challenge in your reading? Well, I think I might well do. And I'm stuck on my own in an, on an island. I wouldn't have much else to do. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, it's the Montaigne then. Mm -hmm. That's the yeah. one you're going to have. Okay. Uh, also, luxury item. Yes. What's that going to be? Well, I think if, you can, if you've got somewhere to cuddle down in the night and try and get a good sleep, or even during the day if you're feeling fed up, it's nice to have a nice, comfortable bed. Hmm. Yeah. to cuddle down into and I would so I would like a bed a nice big bed 
with a constant supply of very good quality Egyptian cotton sheets and pillowcases. Done. You can have it. And I think that would be very comforting on the island. I'd be glad to provide you with um, king size. Yes, king size would be King size would be great. King size bed with yeah. a fresh supply of Egyptian cotton sheets and pillowcases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sounds lovely. It does. Um, now, oh, by the way, there's been a terrible storm. Oh. And I'm afraid that uh, <gasps> you should have put your records in a more careful place because they're being washed away as at this moment. You <sighs> will have the chance to rescue just one. Which one will it be? The, <gasps> the only record that you can have, which one's that going to be? Oh, my God, that's really difficult. I'd forgotten I was going to be asked this question. Um, I think, in the same way that I will choose Michel de Montaigne because it's more difficult, I think I will choose the Bach because it'll give me something to think about and I think that's the important thing. I will need to exercise my brain Mm. uh, and I think that will do the trick. So I'll keep that one. Okay. Um, Just as a final thought, how do you think you're going to get on uh, on this remote island? Oh, very difficult to say. Um, you okay? You okay on your own? Yes, I'm quite happy in my with my own uh, company, uh, but that's for a period of time when I, which I know is going to end at some point. And I think on a desert island, I wouldn't know how long it was going to last. And I think I would might I might get quite um, hmm, not sure how I'd cope really. Okay. But I think these choices will help me. I think so. I think so too. And don't worry, I'm sure that you wouldn't be on the island. uh, You'll you'll make sure they find me, will you? Well, I mean, the number of people who seem to get washed up on a desert island on the radio these days, (laughs) there can't be that many desert islands left. So I'm sure you'll be joined by some kind of celebrity. You'll probably end up sharing the island with, you know, Jack D or Michael McIntyre or something. Jack D, please, not Michael McIntyre. Okay. Mm. Um, All right. Well, thank you very much for being uh, my castaway on on Marooned with My Music. That's Mm. the name of the programme. Yes. And um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm very glad that I've recorded both you and obviously dad and my brother James as well. Um, and uh, I hope that my listeners uh, have enjoyed listening to these things. I hope so too. Thank you very much for asking me. You're welcome. Uh, I think that's the end of this show, so I'd just like to say to my audience, thank you very much for listening, but for now, it's time to say goodbye. again for listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.